Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Tuesday, October the 16th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, your first daily dose of happy for this beautiful Tuesday. We are dealing with October weather here in the Northeast, and uh, it's it, we, we've been through... Uh, you know the usual kinds of shifts in terms of temperature and so forth, but right now we're in the middle of what is typical October temperatures, which is where you wake up and the temperatures are in the 40s, but by the middle of the day they're in the 60s, and that th- that feels, I'm sure, quite different from what you're used to in October down in Louisiana. Quite different. It's, yeah, uh, well, it's pouring rain right now. Oh my! And we've had we've been having um, thunderstorms most of the night. It's 71 degrees, and the high today is going to be 78. Wow. And the lows for the week are in the 60s. So mm. that's a like, wow, it's going to be in the 60s tonight. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying, oh, it's going to get up into the 60s. That's today. right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, this is the time of year where the weather starts to get more like what I'm used to from growing up in california oh yeah i would think kind of funny fall and winter i would think would be actually the nice seasons down there really fall is really really nice because the humidity i mean in the historically anyway the humidity tends to drop away and uh so it's not as humid the humidity does not bother me at all like i don't notice that it's humid anymore Mm. but i do notice it when it suddenly is gone it's like oh wow it's not humid at all so Mm, yeah that's a nice shift no doubt it is it is so it's nice um it's nice here of course it's still dark which made me wonder when does the um when does the time change i think it's uh around the first of november i don't remember what the exact date is maybe a couple days okay it's coming up though it is coming oh yeah we're a couple couple weeks away yeah yeah so it's funny um getting into the studio to do the podcast and it's still dark outside Mm. which I remember from when we first started, or when I first started with you, uh, and then when we do the Wednesday afternoon, it's always funny because it's nice and bright in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're not used to that hey. one. You're getting there, but not quite. <laughs> yeah. So you said something to me this morning that kind of shocked me, and that was that you were looking at the emotional set point chart, and yeah. that determination was not listed. <laughs> I have to admit, it kind of shocked me too. I'm, I, I'm not even sure where to put it on the scale, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you look at the list and they're all good, you know, emotions and, and, you know, valid emotions and so forth. But where would I put determination on there? I mean, it's, it could go in any number of different places. I think it depends on how positive or negative the, the determination feels. Maybe that's why it doesn't have its own set point. Maybe not, but to me, determination, I'm trying to think of a, another word that is maybe a sometimes synonym for determination that would fit better in the scale. But I, determination always feels really good to me. Um, well, but maybe that's, that's because it's step up from whatever created it. I don't know. The one that's closest is passion, which is number two on the scale. Okay. Well. But I yeah. can't, I can't say I feel, you know, two on the scale. That, that's higher than what I'm feeling. My, my determination. I was wondering if you were going to say that. It was, it wasn't even the word. It was just the, the, the height. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm number two. Not on the quite scale. there yet. No, but it, it was, but it was more like it, well, it was a good feeling in the sense that, um, most of the time 
and this is a, this has been an ongoing frustration point for me. Most of the time, I find that the emotions that I'm evoking are relatively weak. They're not really strong, passionate emotions. And so to wake up and, and feel like a, de- a determination born of frustrations going on in my life was in some ways an improvement, <laughs> which is kind of a strange thing to say, but it's true. I mean, I, I just felt, huh, by God, I'm going to get this done. And by God, this is going to happen, you know, <laughs> that kind of a feeling. Well, but- I think it's, I mean, I always feel good when I have, I guess for me, determination feels like motivation or maybe even inspiration. Like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, I'm determined to do it. Nothing's going to stop me. Kind of that kind of uh, sense. So I don't, I don't know. I, I was looking through some synonyms for determination to see if anything popped out at me as being, you know, an emotion that may be on the scale, but I'm not really, I see courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see anything that may be there. Certainty, I think, is there. I don't know if that's an emotion or not. Um, we're, I'm not sure we're looking at the same list, actually, because I don't see courage or certainty. I'm looking at the list in the <laughs> asking of this given book, and I don't see either one. So maybe there are different lists. <laughs> I don't oh know. no, no, no! I'm just looking for synonyms. I was. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. On that list. Oh, got it. I was. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I was just looking like what feels like when you're really determined, and nothing's going to stop you. you yeah, know, yeah. What, okay. What's another word we use for that? Um, and I, I didn't really find anything. Fortitude is on the list. So I mean, courage, I think, I, certainly falls in that category. Because, I mean, I, persistence, persistence, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. But there is something about determined that determined for me has a potent quality to it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I I think more often than not, for me, determined kind of starts more in the the negative range and is a way of kind of pushing up into the positive range. Because after a while of, of feeling, I don't know, anger or worry or doubt or whatever you get tired of being there and you just want to pop out of there like i'm determined to pop out of there exactly well i think this is a great example of why contrast is so important Mm -hmm. like oftentimes you know there's this idea of oh contrast like like contrast like there's something wrong yeah if we are feeling contrast and yet i just think it's one of the ways you know the story about um when a when baby birds are ready to leave the nest, that the mother will weave thorns and prickly things in there to, to, to make it a little less less comfortable for mm. them. I didn't know that, but that's interesting. And it's like you know, when things get a little less comfortable for us, that's when we get determined to change things. So I think it's a good thing. I do too. I, think I it mean, it feels good to me, and that's why I said earlier yeah. before we were on there. I was like, "Well, I'm not sure if it, determination feels good just because it's a step up from whatever created the determination." I don't know. I think it is. <laughs> I, I think that's a very real part of it. That, yeah. that the determination is born usually of, of something lower down the scale, and and it literally a determination to get away from it, to just move up and feel better. And it, sometimes that's what it takes. You know, sometimes. It, it isn't about feeling, oh, how wonderful things are. It's about, boy, God, I'm not going to be here anymore. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, I've had enough of this. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm Bye. <laughs> I've yes. had enough and I'm determined to change it. Yeah. <laughs> or to borrow from the uh, the old movie Network from about 45 years ago, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. There you go. 
So that's and, funny. Well, I'm I'm glad that you woke up feeling determined because I think it's a good thing. I think so too. Yes, and I I am determined to make it a good thing to actually you know leverage it and and take advantage of the fact that I feel this determination. I'm, you know, nothing's going to stop me today. That that can be very powerful because you can really move a lot of stuff in one day when you do that. And if it's climbing out of the comfort zone and into the, the uncomfortable zone, so be it. That's where most of the change happens anyway. You don't actually get a lot of change in the comfort zone now that I think about it. No, and, and usually I say this a lot, but our comfort zone is usually not too comfortable. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I, I mean, it's generally our familiar zone. It's the familiar right? zone, right, yeah, but it's not terribly yeah. comfortable most of the time. Not, no. not usually, No. no. <laughs> kind of funny we call it a comfort zone then but like it's like that i saw a venn diagram of like the comfort zone and then the things you want they weren't barely touching you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) all right well you know we contrast contrast has a a way of getting us moving getting us motivated getting us determined and maybe even moving us into the zone of inspiration well, I am inspired so, and determined to get our promos out of the way. So let me do that first. Let's um, do it. First promo is always we want people to subscribe who are not yet subscribers. So if you're one of those people who are listening maybe for the first time, you haven't subscribed, please take the time to do so. It's really worth your while. You get a lot more than just conversations about determination. You get conversations about all kinds of aspects of the law of attraction. And, and some people might ask, how many aspects are there? Well, how many aspects are there to life? That will give you an idea. And that's what we're doing every single day. We're talking about life, and we're talking about it from the perspective of the law of attraction. And we're doing it often with a humorous perspective and with an entertaining perspective. But it's, an, it's a perspective that is designed to lift you up and to lift us up, to lift, lift everybody up. And who doesn't need that in their lives? So please become a subscriber. Most people probably know how to do that. But in case you don't know how to do it, there are instructions on the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net. And they're really simple now. I mean, I've got it down to the point, Cindy, where all they have to do is just click on an icon for their device, and it just walks them through it, which is really cool. I like Yay. that. Yay. Yeah. Easy peasy. And then the second message, of course, is if you are a subscriber, whether you are a new subscriber or an existing subscriber who's been with us for a while or maybe one of our long-termers who have been with us for years, please help continue to put out there the messages about LOAToday.net on social media. Because they are making a difference. We have been, I've been repeating over and over again how much uh, they have actually improved the numbers just over the last three months. And we want to get the numbers now up into the thousands. We want to be reaching a large audience so that we're helping to influence a large number of people to have a good day, to have a happy day, to be in that high vibrational place where we do our best attracting. Because I just keep imagining, Cindy, what happens when we get up into the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are all being uh, helped to get into their better feeling place and attract what they really want. I mean, that to me, that's like a seismic shift going on on the earth. And that's where I want to get us to. So, Yeah, the world gets better. That's what happens. <laughs> exactly. The world gets a lot better. Yeah. Right. Stuff that was bugging us, issues that were bugging us, you know, uh, personal relationships that were giving us a hard time, all the, the, the stuff that we're constantly complaining about and wondering why we can't attract that, all that starts to shift because we're feeling better. I mean, that, I, I can't, I don't know how you even measure that, but oh my God, it's got to be a huge seismic scale shift. Yeah. Well, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. So please help We're us continue to do happen. it. And, you, and th- by the way, it's a great way to leverage the law of attraction because when you put the message out there, 
you're letting the universe take over and say, okay, I got the message. I will deliver it to the right people who need it most at this particular time, which is a great thing. That is, and that's interesting, you know, that the whole idea of whatever you listen to, whatever you read, it's kind of, you know, we joke about uh, you are what you eat, but it really is true, right? And it, in the same way, you've heard people talk about like computers, garbage in, garbage out, mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> or whatever we take in, that's what we become. So I remember one of my earliest mentors, uh, Bruce Schneider, saying, Look, if you want to participate in life, you know, in a certain level, like you're talking about the energy scale, he was talking about, or the emotional scale, he was talking about energy level, which is correlated to that and Mm -hmm. said, you know, read books, hang out with people, listen to podcasts, watch movies, you know, that are on that level that are talking about those things because that's what you become. It's like reading books about success or whatever, like our book, the, you know, the book with the law of attraction success stories. In right. It. Exactly. Which, I mean, when we feed ourselves with that, then that's what's going on in, in our mind and in our thought processes. Have you ever done it? Do you have any, well, you're a musician, right? So when you were learning how to play an instrument and you were practicing a lot, did you start having like dreams about playing an instrument or? Oh yeah, I think you, so. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't so much dreams about playing an instrument generally. It was more about dreams about specifically this particular little piece I was trying to learn as my next step in becoming a better musician. And I would I would right. imagine myself playing that piece. Right. I was thinking about anything that I've done that had any kind of repetitious pattern to it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I do a lot of, um, or at sometimes in the winter, more than in the summer, but I knit and I crochet. So if I'm knitting a lot, um, I will just be having dreams about knit, 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 (laughs) you know, just like that one little stitch going over and over and over. Sometimes I'm like, okay, this is telling me I'm doing this too much because I just can't stop thinking about it. But with law of attraction and things like this, I think it's really important. We start recognizing that we're automatically thinking about it or automatically using the tools that we've learned, uh, they start to become the default. So that's why I think it's important to feed ourselves as much as we can these types of ways of in- information. And podcasts are one of them. Our podcast is yeah. one of them. So. One of our podcast is a very important one, I would say. And uh, I, I got to ask you a question, though. When you were doing that knitting in your dreams, were you – Nitpicking? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. No, the nitpicking came later when I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I have to stop. But I've done it with all kinds of things. Anything that has, like, a a repetitious pattern to it, any kind of artwork, music, um, playing scales, you know, on a musical instrument, mm. anything that you're doing, like, over and over, it'll start showing up in my dreams. I always think that's funny because, well, actually, it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about on the podcast today. Okay. Last, well, then we should probably night, get to that then. Yeah. Last night I was, um, I was reading and I read this story of one of Neville Goddard's uh, students and I thought it was such a great story. And in the story, she mentions one of his books that I had. So I kind of hopped around and thought, oh, well, this would be great to talk about, to read this story mm. 
and to talk about it. And also because the technique that she's using in the story is so powerful. And it's one that I've been using. Okay. And it has to do with falling asleep. And so I will say before I even read the story that I, I dreamed about this all night last night. Did you really? Yeah. This one technique and what I've been doing with it, which you'll hear in the story, I dreamed it all night, which like, I think I was just probably smiling all night because every time I would sort of wake up a little bit and recognize I'd been dreaming it, it was like, yay, because I think this is all <laughs> part of the technique, like really working. So that's exciting. So, so it's not like a big mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, let me read this story. Okay. She, she's writing a letter to him. So she says, my story begins at the age of 19. I was a mildly successful dancing teacher and continued in this static state for almost five years. At the end of this time, I met a young lady who talked me into attending your lectures. My thought upon hearing you say, imagining creates reality was that the entire idea was ridiculous. However, I decided to accept your challenge and disprove your thesis. I bought your book out of this world and read it many times. Still unconvinced, I set myself a rather ambitious goal. My present position was as an instructor with the Arthur Murray Dance Studio. Oh, wow. And my goal was to own a franchise and be boss of an Arthur Murray Dance Studio myself. This seemed the most unlikely thing in the world. Now, I will break in to say, I think this book was written in 1949, Mm -hmm. if I'm correct. Sometime in the late 40s or early 50s. Um, She says, this seemed like the most unlikely thing in the world as franchises were extremely difficult to secure. But on top of this fact, I was completely without the necessary funds to begin such an operation. Nevertheless... I assumed the feeling of my wish fulfilled as night after night in my imagination, I went to sleep managing my own studio. Three weeks later, a friend called me from Reno, Nevada. He had the Murray studio there and said it was too much for him to cope with alone. (laughs) He offered me a partnership and I was delighted, so delighted in fact, that I hastened to Reno on borrowed money and promptly <laughs> forgot all about you and your story of imagination. <laughs> My partner and I worked hard and were very successful. But after a year, I was still not satisfied. I wanted more. I began thinking of ways and means to get another studio. All my efforts failed. One night, as I retired, I was restless and decided to read. As I looked through my collection of books, I noticed your slender volume out of this world. I thought of the silly nonsense I had gone through one year ago before getting my own studio. Getting my own studio? The words in my mind electrified me. (laughs) I reread the book that night. And later, in my imagination, I heard my superior praise the good job we had done in Reno and suggest we acquired a second studio as he had a second location ready for us if we desired to expand. I reenacted this imaginal scene nightly without fail. 
Three weeks from the first night of my imaginal drama, it materialized almost word for word. Wow. My par- my partner accepted the new studio in Bakersfield, and I had the Reno studio alone. Now I was convinced of the truth of your teaching, and never again will I forget it. Mm. Now, I wanted to share this wonderful knowledge of imaginal power with my staff. I tried to tell them of the marvels they could accomplish, but I was unable to reach many, although one fantastic incident resulted from my efforts to tell this story. A young teacher told me he believed my story, but he said that it would have probably happened anyway in time. (laughs) He insisted the entire theory was nonsense, but stated that if I could tell him something of an incredible nature that would actually happen and which he could witness, then he would believe. I accepted his challenge and conceived a truly fantastic test. The Reno studio is the most insignificant in the entire Murray system because of the small population count in the city itself. There are over 300 Murray studios in the country with much larger populations, therefore providing a greater possibility to draw from. So my test was this. I told the teacher that within the next three months, at the time of a national dance convention, the little Reno studio would be the foremost topic of conversation at that convention. And he, calm, he calmly stated that this was quite impossible. <laughs> that night when I retired, I felt myself standing before a tremendous audience. I was speaking on creative imagining and felt the nervousness of being before such a vast audience. But I also felt the wonderful sensation of audience acceptance. I heard the roar of applause, and as I left the stage, I saw Mr. Murray himself come forward and shake my hand. I reenacted this entire drama night after night. It began to take on the tones of reality, and I knew I had done it again. My imaginal drama materialized down to the last detail. God, wow. My little Reno studio was the talk of the convention. And I did appear on that stage just as I had done in my imagination. But even after this unbelievable but actual happening, the young teacher who threw me the challenge remained unconvinced. He said it had all happened too naturally, and he was sure it would have happened anyway. (laughs) Oh, wow. I did not mind his attitude because his challenge had given me another opportunity to prove, at least to myself, That imagining does create reality. From that time on, I continued with my ambition to own the largest Arthur Murray dance studio in the world. Mm. Night after night, in my imagination, I heard myself accepting a studio franchise for a great city. Within three weeks, Mr. Murray called me and offered a studio in in a city of one and a half million people. And it's now my goal to make my studio the greatest and biggest in the entire system. And, of course, I know it will be done through my imagination. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Great story. Really great story. Isn't it a great story? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I read it last night, and and then I I had to read it. I said, put your book down for a second. Let me read this to you. (laughs) Because I thought it was so great. Um, And so the idea, and we've talked about this idea before, Falling asleep, imagining a certain, 
a certain thing that would happen once your goal has come to pass. Well, that was the part that um, stopped me in a sense right there. And by stopped, I mean literally stopped me because I know I at least have in my mind this mental block that says I can try to imagine something going to sleep, but I can't ensure I'm going to dream it. <laughs> Actually, most of the time, I don't even remember anything that I dream. But well, you know, here's the how, thing how do you do that? That's the part I'm wondering. I don't think the dream part. I mean, I think that's just what happened with me. I don't think that's necessary. I think the most important part is that that you're imagining whatever it is you're imagining um, as you're falling asleep. So okay. you're focused on it when you fall asleep. And whether you dream about it or not, that's not up to you. And that that might not happen. And I don't think it matters. Um, but what I what I do know, and this is what, you heard she mentioned in here the book Out of This World. So I thought that we need to read that one um, mm-hmm. for the podcast. But what what it talks about and what she was doing here is just a small, a small, you know, she says drama. I reenacted this entire drama. For instance, when she wanted to have her little studio be the talk of the convention. Mm-hmm. She imagined herself giving a talk before an audience and right. hearing the audience applaud and then shaking Mr. Murray's hand. So it, it was actually just a small snippet, like in, in a story, it's one paragraph. And I know that's one of the things that Neville talks about is create a scene that would hap- that would naturally follow you getting this thing you want. Mm. So he talks about in maybe in the book we read before where he's like, don't imagine yourself, you know, getting uh, someone handing you a check. Imagine what you would be doing after you had that money. But oftentimes he talks about very small things like in the out of this world book. I think he talks about if it would if it would naturally be if walking up a certain set of stairs would naturally be what followed this thing you wanted. then. Walk up the stairs in your imagination over and over. And he talks about, he talks about not getting too convoluted. In other words, not creating too big of a drama, too big of a scene. Yeah, yeah. Because if you do, there's too many areas you could wander off into and your focus will go somewhere else. Well, plus it's also harder to to create the bigger scene. Because if, you, if right. you're trying to create a big scene, you're trying to fill in thousands and thousands of details. And if you're anybody like me who has trouble imagining anything, that that's a huge project. But a small scene, you you can imagine that a lot easier. That's why I love that he gives the example is that if whatever it is that you want, you know, and he, he says if you would, if it would be a natural thing for you to walk up a certain set of stairs after you got that thing you want. And, you know, made me think, okay, maybe someone wants, um, I don't know, a promotion at work. And they know that to get that, they would be called into a certain office and there's a hallway. Then that's what they're seeing. They're walking, they're seeing themselves walk to their new job or whatever, you know, but it's a small thing that you can repeat over and over with feeling and with focus. So I was thinking about hers. It cracked me up. It's really funny to read it because she's thinking about the nonsense and it's, it's written that way that she says, I thought of the silly nonsense I'd gone through one year ago before getting my own studio. Then it says in all caps, getting my own studio. <laughs> <laughs> like she never put it together. You right, know, right. Gone by. It's like, whatever. But the thing that she was imagining was 
was small, um, she heard her superior praising a good job that they had done mm. and suggesting that they should have a second studio and saying that there's a location already for you. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty small little snippet. It, but it's a pretty powerful little snippet. And it really right. reinforces the idea that it doesn't have to be terribly involved. It doesn't have to be intricate. It can just be, like you say, small and simple. But the small and simple can be really powerful. Yeah. So I realized that I have a list of things and that I had been imagining like all of them. And they're sort of not even connected. So I was kind of going through the list as I was falling asleep. And after I read this, I thought, hmm, I need to focus on one thing. And so I pulled one of those things out and it's just, I created a small snippet and that's what I've been imagining just over and over this one little vignette, if you will. Mm. And I've been imagining it over and over. And last night I, I must've just dreamt about it all night, that one little snippet and all of the details in that one little thing. I just dreamt it over and over and over. <laughs> and it's like really exciting because I'm like, okay, it's happening now because now it's becoming easy to focus on it. So easy that my mind was just focusing on it all night. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the other thing that I thought was interesting about this woman's particular story, or I should say stories because she created so many things. Did you notice how many times it says three weeks later? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I three noticed that very later. much. It was always three, mm -hmm. three times. She says, exactly three weeks after I started, exactly three weeks after I started. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting because that's 21 days. And you've heard it said, right, that it takes 21 days, like, to develop a habit. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's true. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I just put that together. And I'm not saying that it works in three weeks for anyone, but it worked for her quite often that it was that period, that three-week period of time. Well, when you said three weeks and you kept repeating three weeks, what occurred to me is uh, Abraham teaches us that when we are experiencing delay, the delay is due to a resistance or, or perhaps a series of resistances within us. And it occurred to me that whatever her biggest resistance is always created a three-week delay. And so it was a very consistent thing. Every single time, the resistance just made it three weeks and then it showed up. And then another three yeah. weeks and it showed up. I was just reading something yesterday, and I don't know if it was the Abraham Hicks, an email, or I don't know where I read it, but it was talking about that delay, that buffer, mm. and how great it is that it's there, that it's very important that we have that buffer of time. Well, I think it was, um, I think that if you're subscribed to their email list, I think that was actually a topic this past week. I think so too. Okay. That's, that's what I was wondering. I think I was that's like, what it is. Yeah. I think it might have been an email. And I think, you know, sure. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm good with the buffer protecting me from ridiculous manifestations um, and from things happening too quickly and from things happening that maybe aren't the perfect example of what should be happening or whatever. I'm good with that. Um, so I just don't want the buffer to be so long that I'm suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I found it. I found the I found the email. Oh, good. What uh, does it say? From October 11th, it says, The buffer of time gives you the opportunity to get it right before it manifests, to take pleasure from the vision and from the molding it into place. 
Can you imagine if everything was manifesting instantly? You would manifest this, and then you would manifest it away, and then you'd manifest that, and then it would be a difficult thing if you were instantly manifesting every whim or every misaligned thought. It's so much better that you have this buffer of time where you can feel it into perfection before it manifests into your experience. Oh, wow. Okay, so at the very beginning of that, when you were reading about um, getting it right, right, and then you read a sentence that talked about enjoying it, enjoying the pleasure of... To take the pleasure from the vision and from the molding of it into place. It just reminds me of this, because exactly. one of the things... Yeah, one of the things that we do when we use this particular uh, method that Neville taught is that as you're imagining the little scenario, um, you are letting all your senses get involved. Mm. So if you notice, she said she could hear the roar of the crowd of the pl- applause. She said that she felt him shake her hand. She shook his hand. So, you know, she's hearing and seeing and all of her senses are getting involved. And she made this comment that the the vision she was reenacting every night as she laid down to go to sleep, that it began to take on the tones of reality. And that's when she knew she had done it again. Mm, yeah. So it, it began to seem really real. And that's when you read that sentence about enjoying the, the pleasure of the vision. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that's it. Yeah. Well, she also had the prior experience, so she knew how it felt and how much feeling there was before it actually resulted in getting that first studio in Reno. And I think that's what she was referring to. She she knew that. She had been through that before, and she recognized she had created the same, I don't know, the same amount of, 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 of her vignette again and recognized that she had done enough in that sense. Yeah. I mean, at the very beginning, the very first one that she said, she just, she says, um, I was completely without the necessary funds to begin such an operation. Nevertheless, I assumed the feeling of my wish fulfilled as night after night in my imagination, I went to sleep managing my own studio. Mm. And then three weeks later, she got the call. Good (laughs) phrase in there too, about how she didn't have the funds for it. She didn't yeah. have the money to pull it off, and it came off anyway. Yeah. Yes. And that's the part that I was talking about. Um, instead of imagining that, you know, that someone was giving her money mm-hmm. or that she had earned money or that whatever. Because that's not what imagined, happened. Yeah, she didn't imagine that. And that that's what happens a lot of times is we start to imagine the how. Mm-hmm. Instead of just assuming the feeling of our wish fulfilled. Or even not just the how. In that case, it would be the what. You're trying to imagine the money. So that's the what. But even imagining the what isn't the thing. It's the feeling associated with the what. And the feeling comes from that scene, that little vignette, that yes. that, that little vision that you create. And, right. and emphasis on the word little. I'm still thinking about that. Emphasizing that it only needs to be a little scene. It doesn't have to be big. Right. In fact, it's better if it's little. Like, from what I've read of Neville and his, you know, ideas, these scenes she made are actually on the bigger side. Yeah. Um, but they're still small, you know, just standing on the stage, talking to an audience, shaking someone's hand, hearing the audience applaud. Um, I think 
it should be small enough to where you can do it over and over and you can focus on it instead of letting, instead of letting your imagination go off somewhere else where suddenly you realize, Oh, what am I thinking about? I'm not even back there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because that's, the, that's the tendency, isn't it? The tendency is to, to start with some kind of little scene. And then instead of staying there and focusing on how does it feel and what, what, you know, where, are, where are the feeling elements and what are they like and so forth, like you said, go off on tangents. That's the tendency. And the, the tendency to go off on tangents is how we build this sandcastle that can't stand in the first place and that ultimately doesn't do the job. Well, it reminds me of what we were talking about, um, play, learning to play an instrument and like playing scales. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Scales can be sometimes not as exciting as learning to play some whole masterpiece of a song. Um, it's like, oh, playing the scale over and over and over. But what happens pretty soon is that you're playing it without really even thinking about it. And then it works itself into the songs that you're playing and, and you become such a better player, such a better creator. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point, right? So I think that. That's why this is important. It is, you know, when you think about going to the gym and lifting weights, say, or anything really that you do at the gym, there's repetition. Right. So you don't pick up this weight and set it down and go over there and make three steps on the treadmill and get off and go over there and pick up that weight one time and put it down and go over there. That would be ridiculous. Right. Exactly. And so, but that's what we do. or That's what I know I've done before mentally. Sure. Well, I'm you're, you're a musician too. Yeah. You're a musician, yeah. right? So, so right. you know this like I do. Anyone who's ever learned a, uh, an instrument will recognize this. But you, you're starting off and, and you're, maybe you're in your first year or, you know, maybe your second year of learning. And the tendency that we all have when we're starting off is, okay, we're, we're taking lessons with a teacher. The teacher has, uh, we got a book of, you know, whatever the songs are that we're learning to play. And we, we try to play a song. And we, we start at the beginning of the song and we try to play the song and we make mistakes along the way and it sounds like crap and, and then we finally get to the end and we feel like, ugh. And that's the way many of us will try to practice for the longest period of time. But then one day, if we have a good teacher, the teacher will say, well, don't keep doing that because all you're doing is practicing playing it badly. We got to practice so that you play it well. So here's a way to play it well. Instead of trying to just get through the whole song, try to learn to play that first measure well. Just keep yes. repeating that first measure well. That was those first four beats. Just do those well. When you've got those well, then do the second measure well and keep practicing that measure until you do it well. And after you've got like a stanza, then try stringing together because now you've got all these little habitual patterns that you've been working on that are now kind of more ingrained into your fingers. And you, when you do it that way and then you try to play, all of a sudden there are a whole lot less mistakes. And, and when you get it so that you played like, the first 16 measures without a mistake, you say, oh, my God, I did it. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I actually did it. <laughs> so I think that's, I mean, it's so appropriate to think of all these things that we learn, that we learn through repetition, mm-hmm. that we become better and better and better by a small segment of something that we do over and over. Right. And yeah. anything that you're really good at, you probably have that experience somewhere. I mean, all of us at some point, it's like learning how to write and practicing the alphabet, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like over and over and over (laughs) and then we get good at it and then we do it naturally. So I think it's important to remember that this actually is, is a really easy technique. If we'll 
create that small vignette, that small little play Mm -hmm. and imagine it and then imagine it again and then imagine it again. I mean, I think that last night was one of the first times that I had this happen where I got really, really clear on the little, you know, the little scene that I was imagining. Mm -hmm. And when I imagined, when I got to the end of it, uh, and it had just a little bit of dialogue, you know, I imagined someone saying something to me and me answering them. I played it again. Mm -hmm. And then again, I just kept going and I fell asleep. And then at least three or four times, I woke up just a little bit in the night and realized that I had just kept playing it and <laughs> I was dreaming it. Right, right. So, so okay, I, so so she made reference to to the Goddard book Out of This World. Do we have time to go through that because I want I want to know what it was that was inspiring her. I think we have time to start it. We won't we won't finish it today. It's All not right. that short. Okay. But in in the book Out of This World, I will say this, and we can do this however way you would like to. Um, the first chapter is about thinking fourth dimensionally. Fourth dimensionally, okay. And it gets, I, I don't know, we may have to really mince it up and talk about it as we work through it. The second chapter is a chapter that's called um, Assumptions Become Facts. That chapter is a really good chapter, but I think it would be a disservice to just jump to chapter two without hitting chapter one. So. Yeah, no, let's let's do it in order, and we'll just we'll work through as far as we can today, and then just pick it up tomorrow morning. That's all. Perfect. Okay, so chapter one of Neville Goddard's Out of This World, thinking fourth dimensionally. He starts with a scripture. That's his way. Uh, and now I've told you before it come to pass that when it comes to pass, you might believe it. Okay. So he's talking about, uh, knowing things are going to happen. He says, many persons, myself included, have observed events before they occurred. That is before they occurred in this world of three dimensions. Since man can observe an event before it occurs in the three dimensions of space, life on earth must proceed according to plan. And this plan must exist elsewhere in another dimension and be slowly moving through our space. <laughs> hmm. Okay. If the occurring events were not in this world when they were observed, then to be perfectly logical, they must have been out of this world. Okay. <laughs> and whatever, and whatever is there to be seen before it occurs here must be in quotes, predetermined from the point of view of man awake in a three-dimensional world. Thus, the question arises, are we able to alter our future? Now, I want to ask you a question. Okay. When you hear him talk about, um, at the very beginning, many persons, myself included, have observed events before they occurred. What do you think he's talking about? I think he's describing the same process that his fan described when she manifested her Arthur Murray studio. Okay. I mean, I, I was, I was curious if he was like, cause that was conscious, right? I mean, she well, was consciously undertaking a process to create a, a version of reality in her future and she did it over and over. Um, and, and that's what, 
that's what we're all working on here. But what I wondered when I read this is, is he talking about just observing something in some other way? And then it comes to pass like an intuition or I know one time I was supposed to go to this, uh, this church service with someone and I said, okay. And the night before I had a dream that, that in the church service, the church uh, the congregation was singing happy birthday. And I remember, I just thought that was a silly dream. Congregations <laughs> generally sing, you know, hymns, right, right? right? So it's like, oh, that's funny. Well, then we go and I get there and the pastor announces that it was someone's birthday in the church and he wanted everyone to sing mm-hmm. happy birthday yeah. to them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of sat there like, and I mean, this has happened to me lots of times where I've dreamt something that then's come to pass the next day or so. Um, so I was wondering maybe he was talking about that. Like, I, I'm I not sure there's a big difference, to be honest. I, I understand what you say when you say that it, we're doing some conscious, deliberate creating when we're trying to attract the studio. But how is that different from, say, a psychic who is able to focus on something that they think is going to happen and tell you know, whoever they're they're doing the reading for, this is what I think is going to happen or something along this line is going to happen, and then it happens. Well, now, maybe, I mean, I, it may not be different at all. It may be just be different kind of permutations of the same experience. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Okay. And and, okay. and how often do you hear stories about people who were just, I mean, literally, you, you were talking about dreaming. How about daydreaming? People who are just daydreaming something, and much to their surprise, it comes true. Now, do they right. actively think, oh, well, it was the daydream that made it happen? Probably not. Well, it's interesting. It's like my story with the owl. You know, I was not envisioning a giant owl coming to my window. Mm-hmm. But I did request an owl. You did. And I didn't know how it would show up. Right. So, I mean, they're all kind of different layers of the same types of experience. Okay, so. That's what I'm saying. If you If you take that experience, your experience with the owl, which was a fantastic experience, if you imagine that not from the perspective of what you were doing that day, that day you were practicing um, the uh, uh, the Pam, um, what's Pam's last name? Uh, the author of uh, Pam Grout, the Pam Grout book, E Squared, and and or maybe it was E Cubed. I'm not sure which one you were reading, but you were doing an, a deliberate experiment to see if you could attract something. You decide you're going to attract an owl. Right. Well, what if you weren't actually trying to attract an owl? What if you weren't actually doing an experiment? What if you were just kind of daydreaming about how cool it would be for the owl to show up? Would there have been any tangible difference in the way you would have felt when the owl actually flew by your window? I mean, you, you definitely had a yeah, connection yeah. in your mind about, oh, wow, right. I attracted that. But if you didn't have that piece, the overwhelming experience of, oh, wow, this owl in the middle of Baton Rouge showed up and flew past my window. That feeling would right. be the same, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably, yeah. Okay. You- so that that's what I think, too. It's just, let's see what he says. I okay. think that makes sense. He says, um, okay, so thus the question arises, are we able to alter our future? Right. Uh, my object in writing these pages is to indicate possibilities inherent in man, to show that man can alter his future, but thus altered, it forms again a deterministic sequence starting from the point of interference, a future that will be consistent with the alteration. That's an interesting most- paragraph right there. Because that paragraph, the interference? well, it, yeah. it, it kind of encapsulates two main philosophical viewpoints. 
one viewpoint is a deterministic viewpoint, and the other viewpoint I'll term a creationist viewpoint. But it it incorporates both of them, and it reminds me of like a, a, a smartphone that has uh, a music subscription, like an, a, an iPhone with an Apple Music subscription, right? And you have your own favorite stuff that you've downloaded to your phone or maybe that you play regularly, and maybe you've set it up in a playlist. And let's say you go to play your, your playlist, you love your playlist, you want to keep playing it, and you decide to use their random function. Well, when you hit mm-hmm. the random function, and if you have the random plus the um, uh, the, the second button about uh, repeating the whole thing, what, what it ends up doing is it, it randomizes all the songs within a flash and then kind of stores that, plays that list, and then repeats the list. So you have both. You have the randomization. You have the, the, the randomly created thing, and then you have the deterministic sequence repeating. And then the next time that you re-hit that random button, it creates a new sequence. It, it occurs to me that's what he's talking so about like- here. Yeah, and it's like what we were just talking about. It's like all the different ways that this can play out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you get both. You get the deterministic sequence and you get the random creation going on at the same time. (laughs) The most remarkable feature of man's future is its flexibility. Mm. It is determined by his attitudes rather than by his acts. The cornerstone on which all things are based in man's concept of himself. He acts as he does and has the experiences that he does because his concept of himself is what it is. And for no other reason. Had he a different concept of self, he would act differently. A change of concept of self automatically alters his future and a change in any term of his future series of experiences reciprocally reciprocally alters his concept of self. I like this idea because I see it played out so much of everything that is happening is directly connected in some way to our sense of identity. That's what he's talking about, right? I guess so. Yeah. Man's assumptions, which he regards as insignificant produce effects that are considerable. Therefore, man should revise his estimate of an assumption and recognize its creative power. (laughs) All changes take place in consciousness. The future, although prepared in every detail in advance, has several outcomes. At every moment of our lives, we have before us the choice of which of several futures we will choose. There are two actual outlooks on the world possessed by everyone, a natural focus and a spiritual focus. The ancient teachers called the one the carnal mind and the other the mind of Christ. We may differentiate them as ordinary waking consciousness governed by our senses and a controlled imagination governed by desire. Well, there's an interesting uh, metaphor going on there. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. It's definitely worth pointing out that what he's talking about here the the carnal mind and the mind of Christ or the natural focus and a spiritual focus, he is saying that one, the natural focus is governed by our senses and that the spiritual focus is a controlled imagination that's governed by desire. Yeah, that, that, that's really quite a uh, an association there. Wow. 
We recognize these two distinct centers of thought in the statement, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned. The natural view confines reality to the moment called now. To the natural view, the past and future are purely imaginary. The spiritual view, on the other hand, sees the contents of time. It sees events as distinct and separated as objects in space. The past and future are present whole to the spiritual view. What is mental and subjective to the natural man is concrete and objective to the spiritual man. The habit of seeing only that which our senses permit renders us totally blind to what we otherwise could see. To cultivate the faculty of seeing the invisible, we should often deliberately disentangle our minds from the evidence of the senses and focus our attention on an invisible state, mentally feeling it and sensing it until it has all the distinctness of reality. Now, that right there is what we've been talking about in the method before sleep. Yeah, that's, that's imagining. Yeah, exactly. To cult, I love this paragraph. To, to cultivate the faculty of seeing the invisible, we should often deliberately disentangle our minds from the evidence of the senses and focus our attention on an invisible state mentally feeling it and sensing it until it has all the distinctness of reality. That's what the woman writing him said. Oh, when it started to take on the tone of reality, I knew I had done it again. Exactly. Yes. Earnest, concentrated thought focused in a particular direction shuts out other sensations and causes them to disappear. We have but to concentrate on the state desired in order to see it. The habit of withdrawing attention from the region of sensation and concentrating it on the invisible develops our spiritual outlook and enables us to penetrate beyond the world of sense and to see that which is invisible. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. This vision is completely independent of the natural faculties. Open it and quicken it. Without it, these instructions are useless. The things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. A little practice will convince us that we, by controlling our imagination, reshape our future in harmony with our desire. Desire is the mainspring of action. We could not move a single finger unless we had a desire to move it. No matter what we do, we follow the desire, which at the moment dominates our minds. When we break a habit, our desire to break it is greater than our desire to continue in the habit. The desires which impel us to action are those that hold our attention. A desire is but an awareness of something we lack or need to make our life more enjoyable. Desires always have some personal gain in view. The greater the anticipated gain, the more intense is the desire. There is no absolutely unselfish desire. <laughs> yes. Where there is nothing to gain, there's no desire, and consequently no action. The spiritual man speaks to the natural man through the language of desire. The key to progress in life and to the fulfillment of dreams lies in ready obedience to its voice. 
unhesitating obedience to its voice is an immediate assumption of the wish fulfilled. To desire a state is to have it. As Pascal has said, you would not have sought me had you not already found me. Man, by assuming the feeling of his wish fulfilled, and then living and acting on this conviction, alters the future in harmony with his assumption. Assumptions awaken what they affirm. As soon as man assumes the feeling of his wish fulfilled, his four-dimensional self finds ways for the attainment of this end, discovers methods for its realization. I know of no clearer definition of the means by which we realize our desires than to experience in imagination what we would experience in the flesh were we to achieve our goal. This experience of the end wills the means. With its large, with its larger outlook, the four dimensional self then constructs the means necessary to realize the accepted end. This chapter, like so many Neville Goddard chapters, mm-hmm. it, it, it has, it has a quality to the language that tends to create boggles to the mind. And I, I, I understand more and more as we've been reading his stuff that those boggles happen because very often the peculiar way that he uses words. And, and so like earlier on in this section, we were talking about seeing something that was invisible. And I know he, he thinks of it deliberately that way for a purpose, but it boggles the mind because if it's invisible, then you don't see it. That's the point. It's not visible. That's why it is invisible. So why would you see it? And, and, and so you have to understand, oh no, he's not actually talking about seeing it right now without doing anything. It just kind of appears to you. He's talking about deliberately creating it in your mind. And, and so you have to kind of get a feel for how he expresses all this stuff every time that he expresses it. And it, it, it's a little difficult at times, but I find myself getting better at it as we've been reading more and more of it. Well, it's interesting because like the next sentence, he says the undisciplined mind finds it difficult to assume a state which is denied by the senses. Mm -hmm. He also finds it difficult to understand what Neville's saying sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, well, so it's all the things that are going on in the imagination. Mm -hmm. The more practice we have, the easier it is to imagine not just a story, but for all the senses to be involved that our actual senses, (laughs) not the imaginal ones Mm. are denying Right. Because the actual senses are saying, well, we don't see that. We're not hearing that. We're not really hearing that. You're yep. just laying there with your eyes shut. No exactly. one, no boss is telling you they have a promotion for you. Yeah, You're not right. hearing that. <laughs> it's like, well, I know my actual ears here. These senses are denying that, that that's true. But in my imagination, I really did hear my boss give me a promotion. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's the well, discipline we need. Well, we've run out of time for today, but let's pick this up tomorrow. This is definitely worth continuing and uh, reminding ourselves of exactly how it was that that woman did manifest her Arthur Murray studio because that was a pretty cool. Right. Story. I want to say sweet dreams, everyone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sweet dreams. Absolutely. And make sure you do some deliberate uh, imagining as you go to sleep tonight. It's been a pleasure, Cindy. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow about it. I'll be back. We'll be back as well. We hope that you join us next time as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.